made whole. And I'm still very passionate about this. Um, If people would listen and apply, if you'll listen and apply, this isn't to enhance your knowledge, it's to apply. This will be a tremendous blessing to you. We've taught two lessons already, very briefly. The first, and these are all built around the Beatitudes. Jesus said in Matthew 5, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So principle number one is to realize that I'm not God. I admit that I'm powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing and that my life is unmanageable. Principle number two is based off of Matthew 5, 4, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Principle number two is earnestly believe that God exists and that I matter to Him. And I believe there's a lot of people that believe that God exists. They believe that part. But mattering to Him is a whole other issue. You do matter to Jesus. You do matter. And He has the power to help you to be whole. Tonight we're going to read from uh, the third beatitude, Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. One translation said, happy are those who are humble. Happy are those who are humble. We're never proud we're humble. But we can be happy that we're humble. So our principle tonight that we'll discuss is consciously choose to commit all my life and will to Christ's care and control. I'm going to consciously choose to commit my life to Christ. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, our scripture reading for tonight, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's a beautiful, beautiful sound in scripture, isn't it? Isn't it? Why don't we do that? Take my yoke upon you. That's the hard part. We would come to Jesus and give him our burdens, but when we have to take his yoke and submit to him, eh, We'll prefer to carry our burdens, and I don't understand that either. But take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and shall, you shall find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. There was a pet store delivery truck was going down the road, and at every stoplight the driver came to, he would run to the back of a truck and grab a two-by-four, and just start pounding the back of the truck and the side of that truck. And nobody could figure out what he was doing, so finally somebody asked him, said, what are you doing? He said, I'm driving a two-ton truck, but I'm carrying four tons of canaries. I've got to keep two tons of them in the air at all times. Isn't that a picture of our life? We're always juggling something. So many of you are out there beating yourself, trying to keep it all up in the air so it won't come crashing down. We have a tendency to get stuck in life, and we get stuck in relationships, we get stuck in habits, we get stuck in grief. It's a sad thing when that happens. Grief leads to martyrdom if you never come out of it. We get stuck in anger. We get stuck on our job. We get stuck with our job. We get stuck with a job. There are sexual addictions. Then when you can't get out of those things, then you get into a cycle. And I'll call it the downward spiral. You get stuck in some kind of a problem. 
and you then feel guilty that you're stuck. And then you feel angry because you can't change. And then you start being afraid that you'll never be able to change. There's people sitting here right now that has gone through this cycle. <laughs> Some of you are still in it. You feel depressed and focused on feeling sorry for yourself. So whatever you focus on will repeat, so you're stuck even further. And I'm going to go through that again. There's folks, some are here tonight, I know others, that you get stuck in some kind of a problem. It could be a marital issue, an occupational issue, a financial, emotional, mental, nervous, whatever it is, whatever you want to put in that blank. You get stuck in some kind of a problem. There's a distraction in your life. You get stuck there, and then you start feeling guilty because you're stuck. And then you get angry because you can't change it. And then you start feeling fear that you'll never be able to change. And then you start feeling depressed. And then you start focusing on feeling sorry for yourself. I've seen this pattern in people all of my life. And whatever you focus on will repeat, and so you get stuck even further. So how do you break out of being stuck and that's kind of the point of the series that I'm teaching I want to help somebody I kept saying that last Wednesday night I want to help somebody I feel that same passion here tonight I was reaching for some folks last Wednesday night that didn't respond I hope eventually they will but that's what this series is about is to help you come out of whatever it is you're stuck in and be the person that God wants you to be I'm here to tell you tonight, you can do it. I've done it. I've been stuck in the downward spiral. And it took some, some serious discipline, self-discipline, self-accountability, self-responsibility. You can pull yourself out of your stuck if you'll work at it. It takes a little time, but it's worth the trip. So it's not enough just to know that God will help you. My fifth grade school teacher used to say all the time, God helps those who... We're not used to that here in this country. We've created a country where every, a culture where someone else is going to do your stuff for you somewhere along the line if you hold out long enough. That's not God's plan. God will help you if you'll help yourself. You have to take action. You have to make a decision. You have to decide... This is what I'm going to do. This is the person I'm going to be. I believe in goal setting. I'm not much into New Year's resolutions. They're not worth the paper it's written on. But I believe in goal setting. I've done it. done it all my life. I still do it. I encourage people sometimes to set a date on a calendar that in three months from now, I'm going to be whatever you want to put in the blank. Three months from now, I'm going to accomplish Whatever time frame, but put a date on a calendar. I've actually have asked people that I, I'm trying to help personally that, okay, we'll agree that you're going to start a process of change in your life and you're going to get unstuck. So I want you to put a date on your calendar that you're going to follow up with me in 30 days to see how you're doing. Are you going to follow up with me in three months? And I'm amazed when they do. I have to get my little book out and... Go back and say, now what did we talk about? I, I done forgot now, but anyway. But we get through that. But anyway, uh, to add a little humor to this. 
But God helps those who help themselves. So you have to make a decision to get unstuck and determine what I'm going to do in the next week. I ask people sometimes, depending on the nature of the issue, is if you can go 24 hours, celebrate the victory, man. And if you fall off the wagon, don't sweat it. Start the timer again. Let's do it again. And if you can go 24 hours, then let's go three days. If you can go three days, let's go a week. If you can go a week, let's go a month. And I've literally coached people process and for some people it's worked the step is based on what jesus said in our text come to me all ye who are weary and overburdened and i'll give you rest put on my yoke and learn of me learn my way be accountable and responsible to my way for i am gentle and humble in heart and you'll find rest for your soul for my yoke is easy and my burden is light jesus said I can make your life easier. I'm willing to make your life easier. I'm willing to lighten your load. Listen, people go through this ridiculous thought process. Well, if I start coming to church, I've got to start paying my tithes, and I've got to change my lifestyle, and I can't curse and drink and smoke and all that kind of stuff. Really? You find all of that a better option? There's people I know, if you just quit smoking, you talk about a raise every month. Cigarettes at what, five, six dollars a pack? And you're doing two a day? That's 12 bucks a day, man. You get rid of that, you give yourself a good raise. Besides of the health, and you don't stink. Your clothes don't stink, your hair don't stink, your breath don't stink, your car don't stink, and your house don't stink. If you're a smoker here tonight, I just gave you my opinion. It is a good opinion. But Jesus said, I will make your life easier. Look, I would far rather the parameters that Christian living keeps me in than the parameters that the world will force you into. I'd far rather live with the yoke of Jesus on my shoulder than the yoke of sin. I've already shown you in our first lesson, I don't want, I don't want anybody controlling my, my life. I want to do what I want to do. Really? You can't. You don't have the ability to do it. And it's amazing what you do do that other people have influence over. I've done taught that lesson. But Jesus said, I will lighten your load. You will have relief. You'll have release. You'll have rest. You'll have rejuvenation. Give me control and care of your life. And watch what I will do. Life will get so much easier and less stressful. Why would anybody turn that down? That's, that's a great offer, man. There's folks here tonight that's lived for Jesus for a long, long time. And God has guided you through, through so many things. The grace of God, the mercy of God, the forbearance of God, the long-suffering of God. What have you? And all of us would have to agree that our lives are summarily better in the, the longevity of living for God versus the same amount of longevity living in sin. There's folks here tonight, including me, that if it wasn't for a relationship with God and the, the, what I've been taught and learned, I don't even know if I'd be married right now. Let me rephrase that. I'm not sure if Sister Murphy would want to be married to me right now. 
You just go ahead and be honest about it. Jesus makes a difference in your life. And foolish is the man that turns down this offer and it will accept sin. When lust is conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, brings forth. Jesus said, I'm come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Go figure. Which offer are you going to accept? Okay. Jesus is offering you an unopened gift. God says, I want to give you this gift of wholeness, and you've done nothing about it. So what keeps us from taking this step? What causes me to procrastinate given my situations to God? Why do I want to delay surrendering my life to His control? What keeps me from letting go? First on the, first on the list is pride. And people say, well, I'm not proud. Yeah, you are. We all are. Everybody has a certain amount of it. Everybody does. But oftentimes, pride is a detriment. A little bit of pride under control probably isn't a bad thing. You know, I'm not going to rejoice in being a slob. I want to have some self-respect here, some some pride in in that way. But I don't want to be so proud that God is excluded from my life, that I don't have time for God, that God is beneath me, that God's ways are just ridiculous. The Bible said in Proverbs 18, verse 12, Before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty. Before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty, and before honor is humility. One translation said, No one is respected unless he is humble. Arrogant people are on their way to ruin. Another proverb said, The wise in heart will receive commandments. The wise in heart will receive commandments. If you're not receiving commandments, what do you think? The rest of that, but a pratting or jabbering fool shall fall. This is Bible. The wise man is glad to be instructed, but a self-sufficient fool falls flat on his face. If you're not ready to give control of your life to God, maybe you just need a greater dose of pain, of stress, of agony, of sorrow. Remember, we talked about that last week. God will gladly allow all of that to get your attention if need be. The second thing is guilt. And this is probably more applicable in our current culture than pride is. Guilt keeps people from turning to God. In Psalm 40, verse 12, For innumerable evils have compassed me about, the psalmist said. Innumerable evils have compassed me about. Mine iniquities have taken hold upon me so that I am not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of mine head. Therefore, my heart faileth me. One translation said, Otherwise I perish for my problems, for problems far too big for me to solve are piled higher than my head. Meanwhile, my sins, too many to count, have all caught up with me, and I'm ashamed to look up. My heart quails within me. So there's folks that are ashamed of all of your broken promises to God. I've told God over and over that I'll serve Him, that He can take control of my life, and I'm embarrassed to go to God yet another time for help. And I want to encourage somebody here tonight. Don't forget that there is not a sin that God can't forgive. He's faithful and just to forgive sin. The Bible said His mercy is new every morning. 
God don't look at what you did yesterday and say, you know, you really piled it up less yesterday, so today you're on your own. He don't do that. His mercy's new every day. And what does God do with your sin? He don't hold it in the bank and then bring it up and throw it up in your face the next time you do something bad. The Bible said in John 1, He has taken them away. And Hebrews 10 said He's forgotten them. In Isaiah 1, He's washed them away. In Isaiah 43, He's blotted them out. In Isaiah 44, He's wiped them out like a cloud. In Isaiah 55, He has pardoned them. In Micah 7, He has buried them in the depths of the sea. God, don't remember your past. Thank God is right. And so the guilt mechanism that kicks in when we want to come to church and, and we want to involve ourselves in, in, in Bible study, we want to involve ourselves in, in some capacity of being useful at church and useful in the kingdom and what have you. This guilt thing piles up on top of our head. And so we determine that we're no good and we have no value and we have no purpose. And it's a lie. I wish folks could understand that. I wish folks could understand that. The third thing that happens to us is fear. The Bible said in John 8, Then Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, you're my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Basically, we say, I'm afraid of what might, I might have to give up. Like the man who fell off the cliff and grabbed a branch halfway down and cries out, somebody help me, hears the voice of God saying, this is God, trust me, let go and I'll catch you. The man looks down at the 500 foot drop beneath him and looks up and says, is there anybody else up there? <laughs> anybody ever been there and done that? Sometimes it's hard to let go of lifestyles. It's hard to let go of mentalities. I still say that the human brain is like concrete. It's mixed up and permanently set. It's hard to let go of mentalities. It's hard to let go of thought processes. And, and oftentimes these things are built into us either by our parents' words or by their actions. And it's hard to believe God when your mom and dad didn't. Or it's hard to believe God when God wasn't presented to you properly by your mom and dad. And I'll even take it on to the pastor and on to the church. But none of that, none of that supersedes what God truly is and what the Word of God truly teaches. And I'm here to say to you tonight that God will never take anything out of your life without replacing it with something better. I've heard this all of my life. I was born and raised in, in Pentecost and, and cut my teeth on the back of a church pew and all of that. And I've seen ladies dance their hair down and I've watched my mother's high heels skipping around my head, sleeping on the floor several times, and I've seen it all. And across the board, I've seen the lives of elderly sinner people, I've seen the lives of elderly backslidden people, and I've seen the lives of elderly saints. You make your own, your, your own judgment along that line. Across the board. No one's perfect, and I get that and I understand that, but across the board, I've seen more elderly saints that their lives, all of their lives, has been enriched and blessed by the power and the blessing of God because they gave up sin a long, long time ago, and they trusted God with their life. They trusted God with decision-making. They trusted God with provision. They trusted God with sustenance. Anybody hearing me tonight? And if you look at it across the board, you're better off to overcome pride and guilt 
and fear and go ahead and take the plunge. Anybody that's afraid I can't serve God don't know the mercy of God. If you're afraid of serving God because of what you're able to do or you're not able to do, you're starting off wrong. It has nothing to do with who I am and what I'm able to do. It has everything to do with who He is and what He's able to do. And that's where we need to understand. So if you are having a hard time letting go, so what is it that you're afraid of? What are you afraid will happen if you give God control of your life? You say, I don't want anybody controlling me. <laughs> You're being controlled all the time by something. Anybody here tonight controlled by money? Look at all the liars in this building tonight. No one raised their hand. Well, if you're not controlled with money, why don't you go make an offer on the state capitol building downtown? You want to bring it in perspective, or do you get the point? We're controlled by something. Anybody controlled here by the opinions of other people? Huh? The opinion, men, of your wife is never controlling? Liar, liar, pants on fire. <coughs> Anybody here tonight controlled by hurts that you can't forget nor forgive? Everybody's controlled by something. Are you controlled by habits? How about hang-ups? How about your own ego? But you get to choose is the point. You get to choose who or what you're being controlled by when you let God take control of your life. Real freedom is choosing who your master will be. So now what are you afraid of? God help us tonight. I'm trying to help somebody here tonight. Real freedom is choosing who your master will be. And Jesus said you can't serve two. You can't serve more than one. So freedom is choosing who controls you. Jesus said, for what shall a man profit? He should gain the whole world and lose his soul. When you take this step, you give up everything. You give up everything and then you suddenly realize You've never had it so good because God takes what you've given him, turns it around, adds new meaning, new significance, new vitality, and gives it back to you in a whole new way. That's what God does. I've seen him do it in the lives of people all of my life. You give God a blank check and say, God, here's my life. Let him take care of the rest and don't worry about it. Look, I tell God often I'm the most blessed man on the planet. I know I look it, but I didn't go to bed hungry last night. People feel sorry for me all the time because I'm so skinny. And Hey, don't laugh at me. <laughs> I guarantee you there's people sitting in here right now. My britches fit a whole lot better on me than yours do on you about that for an illustration <clears throat> where i have problems is my neck i don't know what it is about my neck i'm buying a shirt and i declare the, the cleaners crank the necks when i tie button it for a tie it's like i can't breathe for like 30 seconds and my face turns anyway 
You give God a blank check, God will take care of you. And I'm the most blessed man on the planet tonight. When it comes to family, I'm a multi-bajillionaire. The best wife, the best kids, the best grandkids anybody could ever ask for. I'm going to tell you what, when you, when you serve God, you're truly blessed and highly favored. And why people won't argue with God and not do what God wants them to do, I don't understand it. I still don't understand it. He can bless you financially. He can bless you marital-wise. He can bless your kids. He can bless your home, your job. You go right down the list, right down the list. God takes care of every aspect of our lives. The next reason people have a, 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 a difficult time turning themselves over to God is worry. Peter said, cast all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Sometimes in life we confuse a decision-making process with a problem-solving phase. Listen to that again. Sometimes in life we confuse the decision-making phase of life with the problem-solving phase of life. Did y'all get that or do I need to rewind? Let me say it one more time. Sometimes in life we confuse the decision-making phase with the problem-solving phase. Some of you remember back in 1963 when John F. Kennedy announced publicly that we're going to put a man on the moon by the end of the decade. I'd ask who remembers that, but it'd only be about two. Um, he did say it. It's historical. That was the decision. We're going to put a man on the moon by the end of the decade. The decision has been made. Does everybody understand that? The decision has been made. Had all the problems been resolved as a result of that decision? No. But folks, I'm trying to help somebody here tonight. You have to be more discerning. You have to pay closer attention. Oftentimes, life will bring you into cycles where you have to make a decision. And then life will bring you into the cycle where you're going to have to solve some problems as a result of that decision. But you can't worry about not making the decision because there may be some problems that's going to follow. Everybody say, help me, Lord. I'm going to say it like I said it. Help me, Lord. Let's put some soul into it. Help me, Lord. All right. Feel like cinnamon tonight. I'm on a roll. <coughs> If you're a good manager, if you're a good manager, you know you never confuse decision-making with problem-solving. And I want to say tonight as pastor, live by that every day. There's a big supreme difference in making a decision and then solving the problems as a result of it. We made a decision to build the A-Center. We made a decision to buy this building, okay? The, that decision's been done. I don't have to look back. I don't have to rethink it. I'm accountable to that decision. I'm accountable to that. But now I know, and I can pretty much forecast, that there's going to be some problems along the way. But I'm willing to absorb the problems to get this and to get that. Everybody say amen. When you decided to get married... <laughs> Did anybody have any clue that there'd be some problems down the line? 
Or were you one of these idiots that thinks love solves everything? Love pays the bills, love mows the yard, it paints the house, it makes the bed, it does the laundry, I don't have to do one thing. <coughs> Be nice, wouldn't it? If you're a good manager, you know to never confuse decision-making with problem-solving. If you confuse them, you'll never make a decision. You'll never move past being stuck. You'll never progress any further with your life than you are now. I'm trying to help somebody. There's folks here tonight, you're like the turtle on the top of a fence post. Oh, I want to get involved in church, but oh, if I make that commitment, then I got to do this, and I got to do that, and I got to do that, and I got to do that, and I got to do that. Make the decision. Jump in. And then handle the challenges as they come along. Don't just say, I'm summarily not going to do anything with my life from here because there might be a problem down the line. Can I state real plainly what I think about that? That's stupid. You're welcome. Kennedy said, we're going to do it. We're going to put a man on the, on the moon. Now it's NASA's problem to figure out the details. Have any of you ever bought a house? You make the decision. You make the decision to buy it. Then you have to get financing, you have to pack up, you have to arrange moving trucks, you have to fill out change address cards, all of that. The details get handled after the decision is made. About 47 years ago next month, I made a decision to give Jesus control of my life. And I'm still sending out change of address cards saying, no, I'm still not going to do that. No, I'm still not going to be that. No, I'm still not going to go here and I'm not going to go there. I'm still doing that. That's not the new me. That's the old me. I made a decision a long time ago. As the old song says, I have decided to follow Jesus. I wish somebody here tonight would truly decide that I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to embrace the Word of God, and I'm going to let Him take control of my life so He can make me whole, so He can make me complete. I've made a mess out of my life. I've made a wreck out of my life. My marriage didn't work out or it's not working out. My kids are out of control. I hate my family and every all of that stuff. Give it to Jesus. Make the decision. Give it to Him and leave it with Him. Amen, Brother Murphy. I wish my microphone wouldn't quit doing what it's doing. Listen to Pastor. Everybody listen. The Christian life is a decision that you make followed by a process. Everybody say process. I'm sorry back in the 60s and 70s, at least as I remember, the preachers had a tendency to present the gospel on this wise. You come down here and you repent, you get baptized, you feel the Holy Ghost, and that's all you need to do. It's over with. You're saved. I learned a long time ago in working with people that you're not saved until you hear the pearly gates click behind your heels. Revelation said, Jesus said, I've set before you an open door. You can walk out here anytime you want. You can walk away from God anytime you want to. But if you're willing to commit to it, like you would commit to parenting, like some of you would commit to marriage, if you'll commit, 
I'm not offering you this blanket deal that says give your heart to Jesus and all your problems go away. Go away. No, I'm not saying that. If you decide to follow him, he said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Here's the deal. You can go through life not serving God and not really ever have him with you. Or you can choose to decide Jesus and no matter what life brings you, always have God with you. You know, the three Hebrew boys could have been bad to the bone and say, you know what, <laughs> I'm not bound to that image and I'm going to do all that stuff. I'm a good person. But I'm not really serving God either. So when y'all throw me in the fire, leave God out. What idiot's going to do that? Y'all get the point? I want Jesus with me every minute of every hour of every day. So that's why I've made this commitment. But it doesn't mean my life has been perfect. It don't mean that I've been perfect, been closed, but I'm kidding. I'm not perfect. None of us are perfect. It's a process. I remember that old song we used to sing when I taught the primary Sunday school class. I never really enjoyed doing but I did it anyway. He's still working on me to make me what I could be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be because he's still working on me. 59 years old, and God still talks to me every day. And I'm still trying to make my life better. It's a process. It's the same with recovery. It's the same with being made whole. After you're saved, you've made a decision to follow Jesus. Now begin the process. Accept the process. I remember when Sister Murphy had the, the accident and she messed up her shoulder as a result of the accident. <clears throat> her doctor told her on her pre-op visit, after your surgery, he said, this time next week after your surgery, you're going to hate my guts. And he was right. <laughs> I did, and I wasn't even the one operating on it. <clears throat> but that was his words, and I knew what he meant, and so did she. And he said, if you don't immediately start going to therapy, you'll never use that arm again. And she would come home, and her arm was black and blue, and she had tears streaming down her face. And Sister Murph's not a crybaby. She's not had pain like that, she said, in years. But she understood if she was going to be healed, there was going to be pain in the process. Paul said, being confident of this very thing. Paul said, you can be confident of this very thing. That he, which has begun a good work in you, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So until the day of rapture or death, we're in all in a process. I'm trying to hurry. In World War II, the Marines had a definite strategy that they used in the Pacific. When they went to retake it from the Japanese, they used the same strategy on every island that worked every time. First, they would go to the island that had been taken captive, and they would start bombing it. This was called the softening up period. Some of you are in the softening up period right now, and all kinds of explosions are going off in your life, and you finally come to a point where you say, yes, I need help beyond myself. It's softening up your pride and your fear and your worry and so on. In the second phase, the Marines would come in and establish a beachhead, maybe only 20 yards deep or 200 yards wide, but they would get a, a presence on the island. They, they had completely, had they completely liberated the island when they established a beachhead? No. They had just gotten a foot in the door, if you will. But from here, they would begin to fight the battle. Sometimes they'd move 100 yards forward, and sometimes they'd get pushed back. 
Sometimes they'd win a battle and sometimes they'd lose it. But once they established the beachhead, total liberation of the island was inevitable. In the history of World War II, once the Marines had landed and established the beachhead, they never lost an island. It was just a matter of time before the entire island would set free. When you take the step of letting go, what's happening is God gets a beachhead in your life. You allow God's presence to come into the situation. That doesn't mean everything in your life is perfect. Absolutely not. It means that God has a beachhead, and for the rest of your life, He's going to be setting you free little by little by little. It's a process. The next thing will keep you from turning your life over to God like he wants you to is doubt. Jesus said, because of your unbelief, verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. One translation said, and I like this, he told them, because you have so little faith, I can guarantee this truth. If your faith is the size of mustard seed, you can say this mountain move from here to there and it will move, nothing shall be impossible. Because God is saying here, it's not the size of your faith that matters, but the size of your God. Remember the father of the demon-possessed boy that was brought to Jesus, he said, I believe, but help my unbelief. In other words, your faith doesn't have to be perfect to get results. It just needs to be committed to God. Don't be like the kamikaze pilots in World War II that went on 40 missions. I'm sorry. The kamikaze pilot is only good for one time. They crash into something, they kill themselves. So you don't be like the guy that went on 40 of them. He was involved in the process, but he wasn't committed to it. Y'all get that? <coughs> Hey, this is good stuff here right now. So how do I let go? Number one, you have to accept God's sacrifice as your salvation. You have to accept God's sacrifice as your salvation. Acts 16, and they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus, and, I, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Remember, the word believe in the Bible means to be committed. When you had eggs and bacon for breakfast, either this morning or whenever it was the last time, the chicken was involved, but the pig was committed. Believing on Jesus means that you give him your life and obey the gospel on his terms, not yours. The second thing you do is accept God's word as my standard for living. You accept what the Bible teaches as your standard for living. You have to do that. You can't have it both ways. You know, you can't go to LSU, going to college, but come in there with a smaller college mentality or a high school mentality. You have to take their courses at their determining level. So it is with Jesus, all right? Have you seen this graffiti? Life is a test. It is only a test. Had it been an actual life, you would have been given an instruction manual to tell you what to do and where to go. Fortunately, tonight we do have an instruction manual, and it's called the Bible. Paul wrote to Timothy and said, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable to make you feel better and that no life, your life won't have any trouble, 
and that life's going to be just a big ball of cotton candy. That's not what it says. The Word of God is given to you, and it's profitable for doctrine, for you to know what to believe in, for reproof, for correction. So when you're acting out or acting up, God can correct that. It's an instruction in righteousness. It doesn't mean it you away. It doesn't mean you've been ostracized. It doesn't mean you've been dismissed. It doesn't mean you never come back. It's kind of like being raised by your parents, depending on who they were. I know mine were good for reproof. My dad was good when it came to correction. But that didn't mean he didn't love me. It didn't mean I wasn't going to eat at the table the next meal. I was as invited back to the next meal as anybody else in the house was. Anybody get what I'm saying? This is Jesus talking to you tonight, and I'm trying to help somebody. You accept God's will as the goal in life. Accept God's will as my goal. The psalmist said, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. I want God's purpose in my life even when I don't understand it. I hated when my daddy said, go do something. And I said, why? When I recovered, he said, because I told you. There was no impartation, no explanation. Just do it. I've received the same from God in my own life. Just do it. Why? Just because I said so. Quit arguing with God. Just do just in me. Accept God's power and strength. This is awesome right here. Accept God's power as your strength. Paul said to the church in Philippi, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So it's not just here. There's another almighty up there. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. Taking this step and becoming whole is a process. Simply, It just simply means to open the door. And the key that unlocks that door is your willingness to commit, your willingness to comply. Real willpower is my willingness to accept God's power. Let me give this illustration real quick and, and then I'm done. When pilots fly planes, they fly either by IFR or VFR. IFR stands for Instrument Flight Rules. VFR stands for Visual Flight Rules. Every pilot is flying by one or the other. Visual Flight Rules is fine as long as you can see. But what do you do when you can't? Kind of where the Bible comes in is those times when you can't see. You switch over to IFR, instrument flight rules, and you submit to the, the pilot submits to the plane's computer, you submit to the Word of God. It is said that all airlines fly IFR, they fly by instrument. All pros fly by instrument. But a lot of amateurs fly by visual. The FAA says that a lot of small plane crashes could have been prevented if the person in the cockpit had simply picked up the microphone and said, I need help. You may have made it pretty well thus far in life flying with visual, by visual flight rules, 
and you've controlled everything, but it's an, an inevitable part of your life that you're going to have some bad times coming. You're going to hit rough spots. You're going to flip upside down and not know which end is up. That's when you pick up the microphone and ask God to switch you over to his system. I would to God that people could do that. We could learn that. Again, I'm just trying to, to help somebody realize some things that serving God is a process and it doesn't all come overnight, but if you'll commit to it, God will change your life. My in-laws have been for years a sterling example of that. They've been through many, many things, many, many things. But I've watched him now, him in his 80s, and in all due respect, he's getting closer by the day. But these people have trusted God when they didn't have no other way to go. They didn't have anyone else to turn to. If God didn't do it, it wasn't going to get done. All five of their kids are serving God, and most of their grandkids. They learned a long time ago how to pilot their ship by an instrument called the Bible, and it works. They're a living, breathing testimony. Versus all the folks here tonight that choose not to do that. You're having marital difficulty. You're having problems with your kids, on and on and on. Why don't you switch over to him and see what he does with your life and your family. Come unto me, all you that labor, Jesus says. Stand with me tonight. I appreciate your time, your attention, your choosing to be here tonight. I hope it was a profitable hour that you were able to glean some things from the Word of God. Let's pray right now. Father, we love you tonight. We're thankful for the ever-abiding, ever-present Word of God. It's our guide. It's our map. It's our manual. It's our everything. And I pray tonight, God, that folks would understand that my life is not my own, that I've been bought with a price, and that if we'll give you control of our lives, that, oh, God, how you could help us through life that life could be summarily easier, not problem-free, but easier because you're with us. Our faith would engage. Your promise would come to pass. God, I live this every day. I live it every day and I have for years. You've never left me. You've never failed me. You've always come through, and you'll do the same for everybody. It is no secret what you can do and what you've done for others. You'll do for everybody. And I pray tonight that you would bless Grace Church, the people that are here tonight, the people watching live stream. I pray, God, that your hand would be made manifest in their life and that they would surrender to you everything. That they'd make a wholesale, God, I give up, I surrender statement. And that you'd step into their lives and bless them and guide them. I pray, God, that you would heal our hurts, make us whole, make us complete in you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Thank you for being here. Thank you for your patience tonight. God bless you. Shake hands. Be friendly with one another. And I will see you Sunday morning.